Well, good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, ambassador of 805 Connect and your host for this 805 Conversation, where we talk to fascinating people you'll want to know better. Our show is sponsored by California Lutheran University's School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services. Thanks to them both for their support and encouragement. Thanks to our podcasting partner, Pullstring Press, for this great studio, and Patrick, my co-host. Hey, Patrick. Hey, hello, Mark. Patrick, we have a new friend of the show here, Jim Semick. Jim, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having Welcome. me. Welcome. Thank you. How long have you been in Santa Barbara? Um, since 1999. I so moved been... from Seattle. And what were you doing in Seattle? I was uh, writing books for Microsoft. What kind of books? Uh, technology books. Um, what? Yeah. So uh, technical writing. Yeah, it was for the Microsoft Certified Engineer certification. Right. And um, I was creating uh, training materials and books that were actually sold in bookstores to help engineers and developers learn Microsoft technologies and had the freedom to pretty much live wherever I wanted it. And after 10 years of rain in Seattle, mm-hmm, decided mm-hmm. to make the change. I come, I come from the from Ridgefield, Washington. Yeah. Familiar with that, yeah. that experience. <laughs> now we're happy here. <laughs> Should have done it sooner. <laughs> How does someone start to write a book about Java or some of the, the nerdier, geekier things, where, where do you even start? Yeah, well, that's the thing, is that my path was very rambling. I didn't have the typical graduate from college, move into a career, and then stay in that career and move through the career path. Hmm. I tended to uh, ramble from one occupation to another, and then an opportunity would present itself. So at the time I was up in Seattle, I was, um, uh, I'd become a corporate trainer. And eventually oh. became a writer writing training materials and what's called an instructional designer. And even though I didn't have a background in training, um, somehow found that to work. And people started hiring me for jobs and then eventually stumbled into So life has for happened to you. It, well, in a sense. I, I, get, I suppose that I was open to opportunity. Okay. And, oh, I like that. Yeah. yeah that's and a way every, to reframe it. Every item or every career that I had tended to teach me something about what I was good at and what I was not good at. What did you think you were going to be when you were 12? Oh, I thought I would run a business. Oh, what kind of business? I didn't know. I I actually had a small, I had a company called (laughs) James Semick Enterprises when I was about that age, and we collected golf balls on the golf course and, and resold them. Yeah. A, a great job because I know one of your customers was a friend of mine, probably, yeah. who would buy 10,000 golf balls at a time. Wow. Uh, he lived in Toronto and they lived on the riverbank. And he built a green uh, and he would drive these 10,000 balls out into the river. I mean, ecological disaster. I just, I just <laughs> went right there. I mean, just, but he, that sounds incredible. He totally didn't care, but it was like he was buying balls from guys like you. Exactly. Mm. I love that. Although it wasn't 10,000, it was You never 10. got up to that when you were 12. No. You it know, was 10. No. Yeah. <laughs> Put on the scuba mask and, and go at midnight and get the balls. What, what was the next? Did you stay in wanting to run businesses? No. Well, I, I went to college um, assuming that I would be in business, but still not quite clear on what I wanted to do. Mm. So I wound up uh, after college working for financial services. I was uh, working for Aetna, um, which is this giant corporation. And I knew pretty early on that I didn't want to be in a giant corporation. I didn't want to be a cog in a wheel. And um, so, uh, but I still didn't know what I wanted to do. And I, I think a lot of entrepreneurs do that that way. They, they're not quite satisfied, but they're still not quite sure what they want to do. Was it a book or a person or a class that got you focused? I think it was an opportunity. I knew I wanted to get out of um, the corporate world and do something different. And um, so I started, um, uh, I actually went to work for Microsoft and still at that time. So you went from big company to, to bigger company. Bigger, sure. Right. Was it because that was at the height back then? I mean, it mid was. 90s was like, it was. It was right. dominated. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so they were growing so quickly at that time, but I still wanted to do my own thing, and so I struck out and, and started writing these training materials as a consultant and uh, hired, I had a small consulting company and hired writers and editors and graphic mm. designers to help me create these materials. 
And that was really the start. And um, Have you always written? You know, I, I didn't realize that I had a knack for it until ah. I started, until I actually started doing it. And I think that all of the things that I've done along the way, whether it's um, training, uh, whether it's um, interviewing uh, developers to try to understand mm-hmm. and convert into English what they're talking about, right. that I realized that I had a knack for it. And um, then, um, and I've had different writing careers throughout time. So I became a marketing communications writer and had a small business doing that for a while um, and um, and realized that I could write. Um, but I still think that I'm not, compared to other writers, I'm not an excellent writer. Do you like fiction or nonfiction better? Oh, I'm, I'm definitely a nonfiction reader. I'm a science geek. Oh. Yeah. So what about writing, fiction or nonfiction? Oh, uh, definitely. Um, it's the writing that I do currently is business related. So I write about yeah, me too. I write about startups. I write about taking the plunge. I write about um, how to communicate, those sorts of things. So it's I'm definitely not a fiction writer. I don't have a desire to, to write a novel like a lot of folks. I was. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have a secret half-written novel on your computer. <laughs> it's about this detective who finds he's working for Microsoft, but he's going to solve the murder of a <laughs> software that he really loved. And it was that developer. Well, now now <laughs> you've planted the seed. Yeah, there you right? go. <laughs> it's a nonfiction book. You've just, you're using the language of you know, Raymond Chandler's noir. I think that would be a good idea. <laughs> I love you that. Know, I've always been jealous of people that could do that, that have that desire to write the next great American novel. Well, it's and that thing that's got to jump out of your head to get on the paper. That's amazing to me this that people can do that. This past summer, I had the opportunity to go to... Uh, uh, a milestone high school reunion, and I decided to go because my creative writing teacher was also going. Mm. Oh, great. And in my mind, she was always an adult. I was 16, and she was this adult who taught this class. It changed, totally changed my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I saw her picture in the invitation. I was like, oh, she was a 22-year-old postgrad, you know, like just a kid. It was probably her first teaching job. And I said, I'm going to go and tell her very specifically the five things that I learned from her that I still do that have changed the way I think about writing. And she started crying. It was just one of those moments. We just went and spent half an hour just, just I, of all the people in my life, you're the one who oh, taught me that, right? That's as I great. write all the time, as, as, as entrepreneurs, as business people, we're communicating constantly, Sure. right? Whether customers, employees, and we're trying to influence behavior in one way or another or communicate some idea in one way or another, right? Right. And so I, I've long thought that you don't need to be excellent at communication. You need to be gifted at communication mm. and, when, and, and treat it like if you're not, go do that. Go figure out, go take a writing class, go do that. Right. So. Yeah. I do think the number one thing with writing, especially the type of writing that I do, is just doing it. And not to say that the quality doesn't matter. It absolutely does. And you need to write something that has value to the reader, whether it's business related or, or otherwise. But just simply doing it and getting it out the door matters more. <laughs> Every mentor I've ever had is just like, you can have the best idea in the world that you leave at home. Sure. It doesn't do anybody any good. I'll take the mediocre idea that showed up. Right. Yeah. In software, we have a saying, which is, if you don't ship it, it doesn't exist. Oh, yeah. Perfect. We have a sticker. Um, now, this we just, we're going to go into not safe for work uh, territory, <laughs> but it's a sticker I saw on the back of Robert Scoble's um, laptop, and he's a noted tech blogger, but it just says, fuck it, ship it. Yep. Uh, and I was like, there's a, there's a sticker that says that. That's what updates are for, right? Like, yeah, that's yeah. fuck it, like, ship it. Yeah. And I went and got that. And, uh, <laughs> and people are like, really? I love like, you I Googling said, well, that, like yeah, looking for that no, sticker. Who they makes are, that sticker? they are. People right now, yeah, pause the yeah, podcast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, my background was, is in computer animation, and that's where my entree into software was, and that whole world of people. And I remember going to uh, Lucasfilm and sitting in the screening room because they used our software to do all the animation and sitting there with George watching the stuff and and he's people are going, oh, no, look at that. Look at that's bug and that's wrong. And he's like, nope. 
No. The only people who are going to see that are the 15-year-olds who get the DVD two years from now. Don't worry about it. It's going to go by quick. And I was like, huh, I always saw him as the guy all about perfection. Mm. Right. But it wasn't. It was to your point. It's like, let's get that thing mm. done. Maybe it's perfection about the right things. Ah, okay, yeah. fair enough. In software, we, we talk about the customer experience. And, yeah. you know, certainly you want to have software that doesn't have bugs. But mm. at the same time, you need to know when it's good enough. That's as a, with creators. That's a huge struggle, I would imagine. Is, it is. is how isn't do you it? get them mm -hmm. to? How do you get them to stop? You know, polishing. Mm -hmm. Do you have a point of view of that? Yeah, I, I've always been surprised that people are satisfied with when you give them eighty percent of what you think is the right thing. So I, my philosophy because is... Because it's 80% more than... It's a 1,000% it's more than what they had before you handed it to them. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. And if it provides... If it mm. solves a problem and if it solves a, a big enough problem that they have, they're more than happy. And they're more than happy to overlook some of the imperfections. That they have no idea are there. Right. They or may, not there. They may not. <laughs> Cause, because, exactly. you know, like, like what they've received is a 100% object. You know, this object is full to me. Like it's, you know, mm -hmm. it's a full glass of whatever. Mm -hmm. And you're looking at it going, yeah, but I could have put whipped cream on it. I could have like maybe added like a straw and an right. umbrella. Mm -hmm. Because entrepreneurs and, uh, you know, w developers have a vision mm -hmm. and it's their baby and they want it to be good and they want people to be happy with it. Um, but at the same time, if you don't get it out the door, then it still doesn't exist. Right. So, um, so my philosophy is is ship it, yeah. and uh, because you you still don't know until you ship it whether it right. actually works and whether people will like it. Aren't there, and then aren't there what what comes back to you is the feedback of oh I didn't even know that would be a problem I was too worried about the umbrella exactly. it didn't occur to me exactly to fix this flavor issue yeah and that's a you know in my my business right now that's a constant um, not a struggle but we. Um, constantly discuss when is the right time to ship it. What is the what they call the minimum viable product? Right, so right, if right. we're developing mm. a feature, how much of that feature do we actually build, and when do we actually draw the line of what we'll ship? Do you know Frank Robinson? I do. Yeah. So He's a great guy. Google Frank Robinson, listener. Um, he invented the term MVP. Yes, he did. What? He did. he did. Somebody invented that? Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't mm. Eric Reese. No. <laughs> No, it was a guy here in Santa Barbara. Um, Wavefront was his seventh customer. Mm. And we learned about product validation, mm -hmm. which is when I saw what you do around mm -hmm. product planning. It's like, okay, we, you need to be on the show, and we need to have a long discussion about that. Wait, what's product planning? What is product planning? Well, uh, the company is Product Plan, and we uh, develop product roadmap software. So our customers use our software to communicate the strategy of what they'll be building to their executives and other stakeholders. So our customers include uh, Nike and Gulfstream Air and Alaska Airlines and uh, Constant Contact. Um, and Wait, so you're, you're, you guys are creating a software that, that lives kind of above or in a more back-end side of, of develop, development? It, yeah, in a way. Um, so most companies use uh, project management software to figure out what they're building and who's mm. going to be working on it. And we're the layer above that, which is to the, their executives don't care about the details in that project right. management software. Right. So what we do is we bring it up a level to that strategic level, and we say, why are you building this in the first place? Mm. Um, huh. Yeah. So I, I've got to feel like, a, well... I've never heard of that before, which is great. Yeah, it's a new. It's actually a new category. Um, right. We, we now have competitors uh, in the market, but um, that's exciting. It is. It's. Uh, that I'm makes it the time makes it true life. that there's actual customers for it. If you, right, you, right. Because when you go yeah. into the mm -hmm. VC and you say, "Well, I don't have any competition," they go, "And then you don't have a business." Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Um, and most companies today use PowerPoint presentations and Excel right. spreadsheets to communicate right. the value why, something, the yeah. value. Right. Mm -hmm. How does this tie back to our business goals? And our software does that. So we save time and we do it better. Um, and uh, we're growing really quickly. Now, um, so we had a conversation with a designer named Dane Howard, who talked about storyboarding the future. Right? Mm -hmm. so how do you? How do mm -hmm. you? storyboard the future and I, I'm feeling like we could have you and him we're on a theme this, today yeah, we are good. definitely yeah. a theme where yeah. where this is so having been on the receiving end of the pitches of the guys oh we ought to do this this is a way to pitch a project to executives it and is planet, and, right? it, and it pitches it to them at their level 
mm. and the things that they care about, uh, which is which are strategic goals. So right. how does it tie back to the goals of my organization, whether the goals are acquiring more customers or increasing profitability or moving right. into new geographic regions, those sorts of things. So we help tie it back to that and we do it in a very colorful way and we have a drag and drop system that they can just kind of build out these roadmaps very quickly. Is it like um, mind mapping? It's a little bit like that, exactly. But it's a nice drag and drop system uh, that lets them easily share out their plans to their executives and, and other stakeholders. So you, where did you, how did you realize that this was a, the software that you were going to go and make? How did you realize that this was the, yeah. the direction you yeah, were going to take your efforts? But it wasn't the original idea. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, again, he, remember, he, this is the open to opportunity guy. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so I, I, I do market validation. So I've done right. this market validation for various products like Appfolio and GoToMeeting and help figure out what those products were. And like that, product plan wasn't, well, it wasn't called product plan at the time. We didn't know what the name of the company was going to be. But I started talking with my product manager friends at different software mm, companies sure. in the area. And the original idea was to help them better organize their customer interviews, um, better map their product against competitors, that, that sort of thing. And we kept hearing back from them, that sounds really interesting, except my real problem is product roadmaps. I have a problem because every month or so I need to create this new thing in PowerPoint, and I find it, or I find it really hard to do. And I find the discussions that we have with my stakeholders really hard to have. What's, what's, so as a guy who does this, I'm in the, yeah. I mean, I'm right now in the middle of doing a roadmap. I should actually look at your software. Yeah, maybe. Uh, <laughs> this might save <laughs> you some effort. Easier, yeah. Yeah. Um, for a big New York client that mm -hmm. I have, and they want to know what the future looks like. And, uh, <laughs> Please tell us what to, how to spend money and what's guaranteed going to work. I have a closet of crystal balls. Oh, that's smart. That's, yeah, that's exactly what I have. Yeah. Um, but what is, what's the hardest part of that? Because, I mean, I'm thinking about what are the three hardest things about doing a roadmap? Well, one is, and this is the, the easiest problem that we solve, is actually building it. We, get, we give you, in a sense, a template to use. Okay. Because um, these people that are using this, they're not designers. They're not, they're, not, no. they're not the creative side. They're the ones who need that. And if you're a product manager in an organization, you, your, your chance to shine is mm -hmm. when you're presenting yeah, this yeah. roadmap. And yeah, so yeah, you yeah. want it to look good. And so yeah. you're willing to spend hours on it, creating something that looks compelling and, and good and can communicate. And so we eliminate that problem for you right away. Why did I just have this vision? It's because I'm a tedster, but I just had this visual of I walk into the conference room, I throw my red dot on the, the floor and I stand on it and I give my 18 minute TED talk, which is if you could, if, if you could get a pitch into eight, because it's usually an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. If you could get it to 18 minutes, you probably have a better chance of winning. Yeah. So the yeah. first one is actually building it. So giving them a sure. template. What's, yeah. the, what's the second biggest problem that you learned from them? Yeah, the biggest, the biggest challenge that they have is uh, ever-changing strategy within the organization. Oh, that so that linking back to the strategy. Yeah, and their executives often will uh, have shiny object syndrome. Uh, and this, the <laughs> yep. sales department is saying, you know, if we build this one yeah. feature, we yep. can sell this major yep. client. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And um, and so, you know, as a product manager, you need to um, be more strategic than that. You can't simply base your next twelve month roadmap off of what the latest lost client. Yep. Is doing oh, that that statement right there. You cannot because being responsive to that situation of well, we just lost this client. If only we had had this this product, right. we wouldn't have lost them. And then you redesign your entire company to accommodate that one. Exactly. Loss. Oh. So we help. What we help do is um, help product managers have that conversation with their stakeholders mm -hmm. about what we're going to be doing why we're going to be doing it, and what are the trade-offs? If we build this thing, then we can't build this other thing. Mm. Frank's $100 test. Yeah, exactly, yeah. What, what's the Frank's $100? Buzzword bingo! <laughs> what's Frank's so, $100 test? So the $100 test is, so you, you, the product manager has said, you know, they've done the exhaustive review, they have the input, they know it has to do these 40 things, yeah. 
and there's no way they can get all 40 things in there. We've already talked right. about MVP. We know that's, so which ones do I pick? So I now go present to a target customer and I said, here's the problem we're solving. Here's the elegant way we're going to solve it. Here's all the things and the customer's all lathered up going, yeah, yeah, give me one of those. Guess what? I can't do all of that. Oh. So I said, but we're going to play a little game called the $100 test. I'm going to give you 100 engineering dollars and you can spend them on those items and you apportion money to each one of those items based on importance. Mm -hmm. And so they'll spend 50 bucks on the thing that's most important, then 20 bucks, then 10 bucks, and 10 bucks. So they're out of money and they're only on item five. Right. So, so I just would tell them, okay, th thank you. Those are 30 things I don't have to build. Mm -hmm. And they're going, oh, no, but no, I, I, I like number 19 and number 22. Not enough to give it 50 bucks. Exactly. Yeah. That's a huge. So how did you, how do you solve that in product plan, that specific problem? Sure. Um, so the, the, the game that you're talking about, yes. um, I call it buy a feature. Mm. Oh, and okay. I've used, okay. Uh, you can use jelly beans or you can use Monopoly nice. money, nice. but it's yeah, a yeah, great yeah. way of either I working directly with your customers about what features to build or yep. your stakeholders. Yep. Um, but in product plan, we have a scoring framework. Okay. Um, that of helps course. you. Of course. In our yeah. software, yeah. we legitimized the issue and took away the child of jelly game. beans. It's not a game. No jelly beans, yeah. but I still like that Maybe. Idea. Maybe. Yeah. An add-on later. Um, that's, the, that's the upgrade. <laughs> the upgrade. And now with jelly beans. The in-app the in equation. Yeah. <laughs> um, we have a scoring framework that helps you weigh benefit versus cost right. for all of these right. opportunities sure, that you sure, have. Sure. And uh, you can, uh, in a sense, weigh... Um, relative benefits. So you can say, what's really important to our organization is customer satisfaction. And we're going to put most of our weighting on customer satisfaction. But profitability is also very important. So we're going to put give a little weighting to that. And then you have all of these items and you start to score them in our in our. So that's product. an actual process that they it's go process, through. Right. And then I'm going to guess that the, the result of the output of that is something very visual and easily explained again because mm -hmm. this person has got to get in front of a group of exactly people but that can't, they need to wouldn't convince. a memo just work can you just send like a one-page memo <laughs> telling the company what direction they should go wouldn't that <laughs> i just feel like what well, just lost memos I, in, when you were talking earlier about about market validation and i was thinking um, that's a great term that gets thrown out of like always oh, doing market validation for this. But then, mm -hmm. but then when I think about okay, well, but how how was that market validation represented back to the company? I imagine that was kind of like your moment of like, oh, you know, I have to be good at presenting the information that yep. I've acquired. Yep. Sure. How yep. do I best present this information to people who one are oversaturated with all sorts of visuals and sure. language and things? And then how do how do I then help? And this is back to what you're originally like writing these these documents of of how to use Microsoft. You're saying, you know what? I bet I could help other people present that information <sighs> back to really boring people too. Yeah. Nice and way to bring it all back. Thanks. Yeah. The um, the thing that I find to be most compelling, uh, both as a somebody receiving the information yeah. or presenting the information is providing real customer evidence. I find mm. that to be very powerful, uh, a powerful result of market validation where you're out talking with prospective customers and they're telling you what they like about your product and they tell you what they don't like about your product. They tell you about the problems that it solves. And then if you can somehow digest that and parrot it back to the executive team, maybe even with customer quotes or mm. what I've done in the past is actually record those conversations and do clips wow. because there's nothing wow. more powerful oh, God. because you can, yeah. as a product manager, as anyone, um, talk until you're blue in the face about what you think, right? Mm -hmm. What your opinion is, but that doesn't matter as much as what the customer's opinion it is. is. You know, that you've touched on, I mean, you're bringing back all kind of 30 years of <laughs> stuff for me, but I, um, hopefully in a, in a, in, good, a, in way. a good way. Yeah. Disney was one of our early design partners at Wavefront, and they would give us a 35-page list of stuff every year. It was called the Disney List, and that kind of drove the innovation. Mm -hmm. Great partner to have if you're an animation company. But what's interesting is just as a smart person using the software, you go, that is a bonehead way to do something. We need to fix that. And then you go to the powers that be and say, we need – and they're like, oh, shut up, Mark. Mm. I go, but Roy Disney said that's a point. Oh, well, we're going to get right on that. Sure. And it's, it's 
I just think it's unfortunate that we don't listen to the smart people we pay in our organization who should be and typically are the experts on that problem because they're not only listening to Roy, they're listening to 18 other people and can give you probably the most informed opinion, yet we have that outside customer validation. Yeah. So I'm just yeah, editorializing, it sorry. It, in many cases, it's icing on the cake. And if you're hiring smart people, I completely right? agree with you. There are a lot of people, though, that have preconceived notions. And they, and I've seen this happen, and I, I talk with entrepreneurs that are this way. And I think that it's both a blessing and a, and a curse because entrepreneurs need to be, dog, they need to be boneheaded. They need to be, you know, just dr resolute. driving. Yeah, resolute yeah, and yeah. a driving force. Yes. And it's that that helps them persevere and create something of value. But at the same time, a lot of them are locked into this a preconceived notion about what their product needs to be or about the customer base that they're, they're selling to. And um, so I found that the, the, the best product managers and the best entrepreneurs are ones that are willing to be a little bit flexible and are willing to listen to outside hmm. um, uh, influence, and uh, particularly if it's from their customer base. And um, so, and executives within organizations like Disney maybe are the same way, mm -hmm. right? They have a preconceived notion about what is right. And so I think that um, the, the smart product managers are the ones that are doing this continuous customer learning and customer discovery. And we call it listen loudly. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I think I hear a lot of uh, discernment in there, though, which is like, you know, that, 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 uh, Distinguishing the difference between somebody who's just being loud in a room mm -hmm. and, and somebody who's <sighs> saying something really, really smart, but maybe not saying it as loud as everybody else. Yeah. You know, so like you're talking to 30 customers, but it also kind of sounds like as, as a, a product manager would have to figure out, you know what, 25 of them were just kind of regurgitating the same junk, but five of them were giving us the real information yeah. we needed. And I think that's where a lot of um, uh, this is where a lot of product managers and entrepreneurs shine, mm. in my opinion, is their, the, good ones, their, yeah. their, the ability not just to listen to the customers, because sometimes customers don't actually know what they want. <laughs> no, uh, no, you're right. right. Dead right. right. So, Dead right. Or, or maybe they, they want to solve a problem, and they're telling you how to solve that problem. But, right. a, but a good entrepreneur will figure out an innovative way of solving that problem. And we'll also be able to think about what the future holds mm. and, and be able to recognize opportunities in technology and, uh, and trends that the customers don't know about. That's a very do you job. say that, that you just define Steve Jobs? No, I think in, uh, very much so. You know, he can uh, or did. He said, he, I don't talk to customers. They don't know what they want. Right. They yeah. don't know they want a thousand songs in their pocket. Sure. And you've heard the, the Henry Ford quote mm -hmm. about. Mm -hmm. To do it. It's it's. Um, if I asked my customers what they wanted, they would have said, "I want a faster horse." Yes. Right. And yes. Whether or not he, that's really attributable to him. You know, it's. But I think the the, the saying is good. Yeah. And yeah. Um, if and and so entrepreneurs are should be good at listening to customers and being able to gather that evidence, as I said. But at the same time, be able to kind of leapfrog ahead because of where things are going to be in the future. Because you're not you're not listening to what they want. You're listening to how they want. Yeah, or you're listening to the problem that they want right, to solve, right. or the job that you're they trying want to figure out the problem. My desire the is for music. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, well, why do you want music? Yeah, Patrick. Yeah. How? how well, and and how, how? What? What about wanting music? Could I possibly solve? Not how can I fix your dilemma that you have with wanting music? Exactly. Mm -hmm. And we find out it's about you're scared of it being quiet. Well, we've solved that. Now. <laughs> right. They don't, want to, they don't want to be alone with right. themselves. No, exactly. <laughs> no, it, which, the right. darkness overwhelms them and they start to fall down. And so they exactly. thank God podcasts are here, which is what somebody's listening to right now exactly. as they get through their entire day. I want to talk about stakeholders for a second because, you uh, again, you have opened a Pandora's box for me uh, in, in a good way. One, one of the things about stakeholders, as, as you mentioned, which is how do you – link all this back to the strategy and how do you take all of those things, your scoring strategy, all of that. I used to explain, because we'd have these huge meetings with the lists of stuff. Okay, what's mm -hmm. our next version going to have right. and what's it not going to have and what are the benefits and all of those things we did as committee instead of assigning mm -hmm. it to one person. But I used to say that there were four inputs. So there was all the stuff the customers want. 
And there was all the stuff that engineers wanted. Mm -hmm. There was all the stuff that sales and marketing wanted. And then there was the stuff that me, as the head of the company and theoretically the visionary, wanted. And so if I weighted those, the customer, they if we just listened to them, we're only solving today's problems because mm -hmm. they're just linked into the work they're trying to get done and this tool doesn't do it. Please fix it now. They're so not thinking about the future. Uh, if I listen to just the engineers, they're thinking about all the stuff they had to patch and button up to get into the last release to get it done. And they know, oh my gosh, we've got, we're going to have to replace that transmission because it, yeah, yeah, it works, but not for a lot longer. Sure. But I can't listen to just the engineers because then I have nothing to sell. Mm -hmm. It works better, but eh, kind of who cares? If I listen to sales and marketing, I, now I become a checklist. Oh, well, I have that because the other guys have it. But does anybody want that? Doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Someone's checklist shopping. Do you have that thing? Right. So you've got to watch that. And then if I just listen to the visionary, I'm going to design. I'm going to say I want to be able to do that. People aren't even know they're going to want to do that for five years. Mm -hmm. So how do you? So so they're all valid. Absolutely. Have you? Do you have a point of view on the weight that you give them or how you adjust? Because Sure. That would help. Yeah. Have you heard of the Kano uh, model before? It's How do you spell that? K-A-N-O. And it's a way of grouping items together very similarly to what you just described. Um, but it, um, uh, it groups it into three buckets. Um, the first bucket are, um, uh, and, and, and this relates to, customer satisfaction or customer delight yep, versus yep, yep. how much investment you make in a particular area. Yep. Okay, so the first area are these, um, uh, I think they call them um, normalizers. I'm not exactly sure of the terminology, but these are the features that you just have to have in order to remain competitive. Your competitors have them. Anybody shopping for this product will expect you to have them. And so you want to make a modest amount of investment in those features just to have it as part of the checklist. Um, but any additional investment that you make in those features will have diminishing returns mm, over time. Mm, mm, so mm. you can continue to pour money into those, but it's not going to really yield you a whole lot more because customers, you know, they just expect you to have that. So account, an accounting package has to have accounts payable, right? You, you have accounts payable, check, it's done. Um, so you don't necessarily want to pour a ton of money into those. Then there are the performance-related features, which give you um, linear, uh, linear benefits over time. So as you pour more money into improving performance of a product, well, let's say a software product, um, you're going to get more and more returns, but it's not necessarily going to accelerate things. And then you have these um, uh, exciter features. Mm. And e excitement features are uh, features where customer, customers don't even know that they want them yet. Ooh, ah, but these are really ooh, innovative ah. features that if you invest money into them, they give you a disproportionate return mm. on mm. those items. So what you want to do is you want to spread your money out and, and, and development time across all three categories. But there are certain things that you can only pour so much money in that'll give you a, a return on it. And the return can be, you know, additional customers or profit or whatever, however you define return. In the <coughs> Cano model, they define it as um, customer delight, okay? So what you wanna do is create, is create a product that has all of these features, that it has things that customers don't even expect. Mm -hmm. And those are the things that differentiate you in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. And when we, when we, and that uh, could be a product or a service. <clears throat> absolutely, yeah, yeah. There are things. There are differentiators that um, you're you're listening to customer problems and you're solving them in unique ways. And we did that quite a bit at Appfolio. So we had the baseline product that was its property management software. And you have to have a certain baseline number of features. You have to have certain reports. You have to have a certain accounting package with certain features. But then there are things that are above and beyond that, that the competitors didn't have, that solved huge problems for property managers. Things like collecting rent online so they could go on vacation during the first week of the month, right? 
things like um, being able to um, post easily their vacancies to Craigslist and other areas. So these are things that that without having to rebuild exactly, every time. Exactly. The, the, yeah. The and exact same. Exactly. So apartment. you can save you know hours every single week. So it's things like that that really that that excited customers that solved real problems that they didn't really know that that was even possible. So then the sales and marketing effort is focused on the number three, the excitement, those excitement features. It could be, sure. Yeah, and, and sales and marketing also has to have the checklist, right? You know, we have the accounting package that has all of these features. This is, I see software all the time uh, come to me that, that used to have something, and then in the upgrade, they've mm-hmm. removed a feature and you're sitting there going, that is insane. That was a that was such a wonderful feature. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, they fell down on the checklist. They forgot that, that they needed to maintain the base level of stuff. Mm-hmm. Not just move stuff around or, or bring stuff together or make it more functional. But they literally just cut out a feature. And you're like, what did that... Did that section get fired and now they can't do this anymore? Or like how could how could this software have eliminated the ability to do yeah. something they've done for you know since it's an invention? Yeah. And Google does that extensively. Mm. They um, will release features and new products and then cut them. Yeah. And um, oh, they're probably the most uh, vocal or the most transparent about that. They are than anyone else. Though you know they very publicly fell on their sword with Google Glass, for instance. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, ah, uh, sort of. Oh, is it back? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm. There's a, I, I know uh, a, a guy who just left Sonos to move up to, uh, to Google who is doing uh, uh, wearables. They're, they're, they've, they've said, oh. we, we missed the mark by putting all of our eggs in a basket. A we're, glass, yeah. We're going to, uh, we're going to expand so Is he working at X? I, well, I don't know. You don't know. So, you know, X. So, I don't. So, Astro, this best name I of think, the year, I, Astro I, Teller. I think he is, by the way. Yeah. Astro Teller is the head of Google X, and Google X is the lab. And so, that's an, anything can happen. And right. there, listen to his TED Talk. His TED Talk is all about how they've gotten, uh, they've perfected killing projects. <laughs> I love that. Right? That yeah. sounds, no, that sounds horrific. No, it's when you li- it's very compelling when yeah. you listen to why. So you actually get rewarded there if you fail because it means you're trying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you, you try and fail and you That's try and fail. That's very entrepreneurial. In the TED Talk, they showed how um, one of the problems was how do you get materials into areas where they don't have uh, highway or road infrastructure? Africa. Like, mm-hmm. how do I get stuff, large-scale stuff? I'm going to build a hospital. Mm-hmm. And it's all through uh, balloons. And they show mm. this whole thing of, I was like, okay, I hadn't even thought of that problem. Um, it's very interesting how they do that. I want to go back to the uh, the features. and Because all uh, the person listening to this show is they're building something or selling something or buying something. or They're, they're thinking mm-hmm. about that. That's sure. part of, a part of what they do. And I w- what's your point of view on... When I finished the list of what I thought this thing was going to do and be and all mm. of that, okay, I went through the exercise of writing the press release for it mm-hmm. before I ever did it. I, I think that's a great practice, by the way. And I thought that because it, it annoyed me that we would spend back in the day when you spent a year on a release. Now you spend a, two weeks. You spend a sprint's worth on a release, right? And you're constantly releasing software. But back in the day when you did that, we would develop this mountain of code and someone gets it, they install it, and they may or may not really read the release notes. Right. And they'll use 10% of what you did. I was like, <laughs> well, hold it. Why did, why did we do all of that work? Like that was just wasted effort. Now, it might be a different 10% for different people, mm-hmm. but I challenged people to say, okay, we all have ADD write a press release, what's the headline, because that's what they're going to remember, and then you get three bullets. That's it. Right. And you cannot say anything more. And, and, and don't develop any more than that. Do you have a point of view of that? I do. I think it's really important to have the vision of where you're headed. And I think the press release uh, accomplishes that, where you need to think about where are we taking this thing and what are the high level values that customers are going to get out of it? Right. Never mind the individual features. 
Um, and so I think that having a, having a vision for where you want to take either a product or a feature, I think that's really important for entrepreneurs and, and product managers. Um, now, how you get there is open for discussion. Sure. Right? And you could launch with that 10%. And, you know, like a lot of companies today, we're on sprints and we do two-week sprints and we're releasing software every two weeks. Um, and so you can release, you know, 5% or 10% theoretically, yeah. listen to customer feedback, and then in many cases, customers are satisfied. Yeah. Or maybe you don't get feedback, which could be problematic. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so, I think that, um, so I think that that exercise of going through the, that uh, press release, I think it's a great great idea well and then i i think about what is um i'm i'm now more recently influenced by storytelling mm -hmm. and instead of like normally there's just going to be we've read a million tech releases you know press releases on products right and what if we were to tell that and we play an improv game where we do a show okay now redo the scene in film noir redo the scene <laughs> in bollywood now redo that scene you're like well, i don't know how to do that Figure it out, dude. You can go, right? <laughs> so what if someone were to write that press release in the form of a story? I'm going to kind of challenge our listener right now to do that. How, how would that make it more interesting? If yeah. I told you a story about that. Yeah, thing. that's interesting. And stories, I'm assuming, have a beginning, middle, and end. There's And a hero. And a hero. And a, a dragon. Sure. Wait, are you saying Product Plane doesn't have a press release feature yet? <laughs> <laughs> Seems like that would be worth something. Yeah, screenplay software. <laughs> well, <laughs> well I, I'm thinking that, um, you know, the, the person, the tech person at Wired who gets... 1,200 of those a day and mm -hmm. sifting uh, through them. <laughs> right. If you were to reinvent that as a story. You mean story. Her, her intern that's, that's looking through <laughs> yeah, those. Yeah. Right. Yes, I know you're exactly. she's, she's not, not doing she's that. She's not yeah. reading those herself. Yeah. Yeah, so I, um, I think that that's a, a good exercise um, to think about it as a story. Um, you know, <clears throat> when I'm um, writing up what it is that we're going to be doing or we're talking about what we're going to be doing, um, we have these general themes in mind of what we want to accomplish, and we definitely have right. the vision of where we want to take the product, and we can't get there fast enough. Mm -hmm. right. I mean, this is right. a continual right. problem in, in software is that things are moving very quickly, um, and it's not just a competitive thing, but we also have this vision of where we want to be, and we can't get software out the door fast enough to mm -hmm. accomplish mm -hmm. that vision, mm -hmm. and I don't think that it... Uh, particularly with the product, I think it's uh, really rare when you have the the checklist of what the product has to have, and then there's an end to that story. Mm. I, I don't think that ever happens. Mm. At least it won't for us. Um, because here's it, a stay tuned. It is well. It's yeah. It's we're we're helping you today, but stay tuned. Um, right. And that for me is very exciting. Um, this idea that that our product will continue to grow, and um, and I can see where it's going to be in a year or two down the road. Isn't the product that manifestation of what you as a vision have for how you're helping humanity, if you will? In, in a sense. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you're, the person who's using it is a mm -hmm. human. You, teach, sure. you know, thinking about the person. If you want to be empathetic about that person, mm -hmm. it's like, I want to help you do a better job. Yeah. And you're, you're going to say, say, hey, thank you for that. Absolutely. Right? And there's no greater satisfaction um, than hearing those thank yous. When we did go to meeting, um, there were, and, and go to my PC, there were real people behind that software that were saving loads of time or, yep. or yep. were able to be home for their kid's so yep. soccer game. Yep. Yeah, I'd when, like to say thank you yeah. to yeah. go to meeting for yeah. sure. <laughs> right. It, think about all the, the time that we saved not being on freeways. Mm-hmm. Uh, going to a meeting or flying around the world. And so I don't know. Th that, that, that's what drives me. And, and at Appfolio, I experienced that same thing. I was very close with the customer base. I sat in their offices and looked at the stacks of paper. Mm -hmm. And then Appfolio would come in and we would change that for them. We would let them uh, go on vacation during the first week of the I hadn't even really, as soon as you said that, I went, oh, it's, God, that is a, that's a yeah. real problem. It's rent week, yeah, and it's, rent it's week. all hands on deck. And mm -hmm. so if we can solve that problem for them, we make real changes to people's lives. And I feel that that's, that's something that excites me about software, is that you can make a difference for them. Well, and I mean, that's why we do it. Right. right. I mean, it's not because I like coding. No, it's <laughs> like you, you, 
honestly, the, co the companies that do really well, it's because there's a, an identified problem and they understand the human condition that they're solving and sure. there's empathy and all of those higher order bits. Mm -hmm. Again, my, my TED is showing right now, but that's, the, you know, that's why we go into these things. Exactly. Yeah. Right? And at Product Plan, we're, I, I talk to customers every single day nice. and they um, have stories for me about the meeting that they were in and how they mm -hmm, showed product mm -hmm, plan mm -hmm. and and mm. it they got them, the check <laughs> they, it helped them sell their right. their vision of what they wanted right. to accomplish and that makes me just personally satisfied beyond making the company successful and you know all of these other things with growing a software company but it's that that personal satisfaction of having made a difference and it's a small difference you know I'm making a difference for you know um, multi-billion dollar companies and people in those companies, but at the same time, there are real humans behind it. No, and absolutely. So you, you, um, you worked with a lot of uh, large, uh, the names are, that you've mentioned are big companies that have started out as small little ideas sure. in Santa Barbara have gone on to be very big deals. And you left now and have started this company, how old right. is Product Plan? Uh, we've been around for about four years now. Okay, mm -hmm. so you're still babies. In We're the, still babies, right? Yeah. In that, in that, and then, um, are do you feel poised to be another one of the juggernauts here in in Santa Barbara? Well, when we started Product Plan, and I'm I'm one of the co-founders. Um, so my other uh, founder is Greg Goodman, who also has experience here in building companies in Santa Barbara. And um, we deliberately set out not to be a venture-funded company. Okay. We deliberately yeah, set out yeah. to have a bootstrapped sure. company. Yeah. And um, and there are trade-offs to that. You bet. Um, you know, we deliberately said we're not going to become the next Appfolio, even though I see the potential of it becoming that. We could throw fuel on the fire and accelerate our growth, but that, that comes with personal trade-offs and trade-offs to the business. You bet. And so um, so we had a, before we started the company, we sat down and talked about what we wanted to accomplish. Um, like, how big do we want this company to be? What's our lifestyle going to be like? Um, uh, you know. We call that owner's desire. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And we don't necessarily have a lifestyle company uh, because we're growing quickly. And you, you, know, you, have, you, applied, have, you applied your own software to your decision of how to build your own business. <laughs> In a sense. Yeah. Yeah. Physician heal thyself. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. Sure. Yeah. yeah. We, we went about it very strategically. And I think that's very important for entrepreneurs to know what they want to accomplish before they start. You bet. Um, but, and I'm talking Which is personally. different than know the exit strategy because that's sure. what the VC wants no. to know. Don't tell no. me about what you want to build. Exactly. Tell me how you're going to yeah. get out of exactly. it. Exactly. And as soon as you accept um, uh, VC money, um, now the goals are different than Very what you different. as an entrepreneur yeah, may yeah. have set out yeah, yeah, yeah. to. The finish line just got changed. Exactly. Yeah. And it's usually quite a bit higher and harder. Yeah. So Speaking of finish lines. Are we there already? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Boom. Just like that, we started, we finished. You get so excited when he time travels. <laughs> you, th you thought we had another hour. <laughs> Jim, this has been a great conversation. Yeah, it has been. Great. Thanks, we, um We like to uh, name things and put bows around these things. What would we call this conversation if someone comes back and archaeologically discovers this podcast and it had a name? What would the name of it be? Um, it would probably be productplan.com. <laughs> I had to get the plug in. No, nice, of course you did. Done. Yeah. That was good, yeah. And or new choice. <laughs> or new choice. Uh, wandering entrepreneur. Oh, that's oh. Nice. See, now everybody's going to want to listen to the story about the wandering entrepreneur. I'm, I'm as a secondary thought, I'm interested in, and this is something we'll have to cover next time you come around, uh, uh, how this could be implemented in some of the incubators around town and some of the oh. different accelerators. Like, cause this is definitely one of those, if you're talking about pitching out uh, your product, or your idea as an, as a new entrepreneur, um, you know, having your pitch deck as a, as a PowerPoint is pretty, pretty dangerous at this point. Have you, you presented know. around at the, uh, I've done a little bit. Have um, you been at impact hub? I've been to impact hub, but haven't presented. And but have you been to hub one Oh one in Westlake? No. So we've had both those folks on the show. Yeah. And we've had um, the hot house up in San Luis Obispo. Mm -hmm. Judy has been on the show. And we had Jem, the Galita Entrepreneurial mm -hmm. Mag. So um, if we can help you make some introductions, yeah, thank we'd you. love to do that. Yeah, I have, a great um, I've done um, uh, some mentoring with the, the uh, 
Galita Entrepreneurial Magnet. Yep. Um, mm. But um, you know, our, our product is not geared towards startups. And that's one of the decisions that we made early on is that we're not focused on startups because startups don't have as much of a problem, nor do they have the budget. Mm. And so we deliberately mm. went to companies oh, good point. with a couple of hundred employees and up. And okay, that's our target. Um, and that's worked out well because we can easily identify the buyer. We can yeah. easily, we know that they have a budget. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, I like the idea of companies uh, avoiding uh, siphoning off money from startups that can't afford it. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's that's conscientious of of it's uh, ecological when it comes to yeah. to healthy startup communities is saying you know what we're not gonna we're not gonna harvest off too soon. They used to, in art school they would say that the gallery owners had to stay away until after master's school. You couldn't you know don't harvest too soon. You'll you'll oh. da- you'll damage the fruit. I love that. Yeah. W- what's next for a product plan? Um, well, we're growing quickly. Um, we're, we're actively hiring folks, um, uh, looking for uh, engineers and um, sales development reps, um, UX and um, QA. And um, so it's just it's, it's, it's stepping on the gas for mm. what we already know works. Mm. So we're in, this, we're in the scaling mode right now um, nice. and uh, growing very quickly and, and signing um, large customers like Exciting IBM. Exciting times. Go, congratulations. Yeah, yeah. The that, IBM, nice. IBM Watson Group is using, is using... The Watson Group. The Watson Group is using us throughout the whole organization. Ooh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's very exciting yeah, because yeah, these yeah. are some really... Am- cool products that these com- companies right. are coming out with. And right. I feel satisfied that they're using, that are, we're part yeah, yeah, of that. Yeah, 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 right? Yeah. Does Watson ever call you? <laughs> hey, Jim. Jim, what am I going to do next? I don't In a know. robotic voice. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Dave. Can't do that. Uh, Jim, thank you so much. How do people find you on the interwebs? Yeah. Um, so I, I write at productplan.com uh, on the blog. And uh, they can uh, find me on LinkedIn. It's Jim Semick. And it's S-E-M-I-C-K. Got it. Perfect. Lovely. Thank you so much. I appreciate you yeah. coming in. And thank you. I also want to thank California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services and our podcasting partner, Pull String Press. I, I love these conversations that we get to have here. The 805 Conversations Project, now in our second year going into over 100 episodes, is supported by partners and sponsors throughout the region. I want to thank all of them. If you want to learn more about this, go to 805connect.com. Look at our partners. And Patrick, um, someone may have just listened to this show for the first time because Patrick, you know, uh, uh, Jim said, hey, go listen to this great episode. But they don't know anything about us. Well, you should know that we have over 100 episodes in our back catalog. And most of those episodes, I'm going to say 97 of them are real gems. Uh, three of them kind of, you know, waffling on that the level of like, eh, I don't know, maybe low blood sugar that day. But anyway, go back through the back catalog, uh, download some of our, our, our archived episodes, uh, take a listen, look for those those titles that seem interesting to you. Uh, and then after you find that one that you really, really like, email it to your mom and uh, get her subscribed because we don't have nearly enough moms subscribed to this I know, of the we're, show. we're mom deficient. Yeah, so write, uh, rate, review. You can't believe how important it is to, to have subscribers uh, when it comes to us uh, communicating with our group great sponsors so uh, we appreciate all of the support that you provide as being a great listener uh, so uh, yeah that's my advice go ahead have a great day and uh, I would love to hear from you personally so you can you're free to pause the podcast right now and pick up your mail <laughs> for the last 30 seconds of the podcast exactly. I've been waiting for Mark to ask me to mail him uh, at mark at 805connect.com let me know what you like about the show or if you've got uh, an interesting person that uh, I should know and we should get on the show so until next time this is Mark Sylvester your host for 805 Conversations 